Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, June 19th, 2023, the 880th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So. When we departed on Thursday, I was discussing the release of the Halderman report after it had been unsealed, and I suggested that Trump may have been alluding to the Halderman report when he said the seal is broken after his indictment. And I want to talk about that in just a second. But in response to me saying that, a lot of people proposed other ideas about what the seal breaking might mean or what it might portend for the future. And I think some of those responses and ideas were very good. I think we all agree that Trump 
declared the seal has been broken because the federal government, as illegitimate as it is, has for the first time indicted a former president. They have essentially made it all the way through the fullness of the banana republic. This is the banana republic in its final form. They have begun to target their political opponents, shut down and censor their opposition. And now they are trying to imprison the leader of the opposition movement. They have gotten all the way to the end. After that point, then it's just a matter of how much they're going to torture the citizens. But that's where we are. Banana Republic time. Tucker Carlson said it on his show last week. It is clear that Joe Biden is a dictator, a common dictator like every other dictator. People thought it couldn't happen in America. And many of those people still pretend it couldn't happen in America, even while also pretending that from 2016 to 2020, it was happening in America. Donald Trump was the authoritarian dictator to be afraid of, except they didn't really believe that. They were just saying that because they thought it helped them make their points. And that is always the position they are in. They don't believe most of the things they are saying. And if you don't think I'm right about that, ask them to support those things. I'm not saying they don't believe that they should be saying those things. And I'm not saying they don't believe they are repeating the right answer. They do believe that. They just don't believe the content of the answer they're giving because they don't know anything about it. And you can prove that within seconds. They will repeat other slogans that they have memorized to back up the things that they are saying. Then they will change the subject. Then they will get angry. And then they will either try to punish you for the rest of your life or they will just simply leave the conversation. But at no point will they attempt to argue their position to anything better than a draw. They'll just say, okay, well, you know, you can say your thing. I'll say my thing. We have a difference of opinion about this factual matter. So we're just not going to agree. Therefore, you can have your position and I'll think you're a bad person and I'm going to continue my position. And I am obviously a great person because I have said all of the slogans that all the best people say. And that's the thing. They will never get past a draw. They might be able to state their facts and some of their facts might be true and you'll state your facts and some of those facts might be false. You might not win on every single point, but they will never get to the point of explaining how their position will work or make things better about how it has made anything better. And they will never, ever defend their position as the morally correct one. They will only call you a bad person for not taking their position. You're a racist, a sexist, a bigot, a homophobe, so on. They will never get all the way through an argument without resorting to one of those things. They will say terrible things about you. They will try to punish you. They will get angry. They will leave. It's very hard to say someone really believes something if they cannot defend the contents of their belief at all. So they never believed that Donald Trump was actually an authoritarian dictator. They were told to say it. They reasoned to themselves that they thought it would help. And to the people in their lives who support Donald Trump back then, at least not now, now they don't talk to any of those people, but back then they would say to them, oh, not you, you're one of the good ones, but the rest of the Trump supporters are fascists. In fact, to support Trump is to support fascism. and. 
Did they believe that either? No, of course not. Because once again, they can't explain it, but we can. Isn't that always amazing how we can simply explain what the thing is? Because it's the thing that it's always been, including with the same people. And you could just trace a direct line through ideology and bloodlines. So easy. Now, it has been clear since before the stolen election that America was essentially already a banana republic and Donald Trump was keeping it on life support from 2016 through 2020. Our elections are stolen. Our sovereignty is being given away. All of our institutions are infiltrated and thoroughly corrupted. And the list goes on and on. And throughout COVID, we saw the sorts of totalitarian policies you would expect from an illegitimate dictatorship. But despite all of that, everybody knew that Donald Trump was the bad guy and Joe Biden, therefore, could not be the bad guy. Trump was the threat, not Biden. And they have believed that throughout the entire time. The adults are back in the room. This was a return to decency, except that hasn't worked out. And it turns out that all of the people saying that Joe Biden was an illegitimate dictator are being proven right and being acknowledged more as right every single day. And again, the seal was broken last week. A couple of days later, Tucker Carlson announces to the nation, look at what this is. Joe Biden is the illegitimate dictator of a banana republic. He showed Joe Biden in his very cool sunglasses in his very cool sports car, as if he's Michael from Knight Rider. He's always hanging out and palling around with other famous people, licking ice cream cones and sniffing kids to a constant chorus of yes, dear leader. And now that's not happening so much. Tucker Carlson changed the public narrative about that. I don't always agree with Tucker Carlson. I think he's way behind on a lot of things. I also think that maybe he's running one of the greatest info ops ever. And if that's the case, then Tucker's a hero. Regardless of that ultimate status, he still has a big enough platform to change public sentiment immediately. As soon as he introduces something like that, he too has broken a seal. Now the public is allowed to talk about the fact that Joe Biden is a dictator. We talked about this a bit on last week's show. So that is one of the final narrative pieces to inject into the central narrative and into the mainstream. And yes, the regime, the other side is going to try to use Joe Biden's image as a dictator for their own ends. You have to certainly imagine it would be better for them to replace Joe Biden with almost anyone else. And of course, the choice is Gavin Newsom. J.B. Pritzker is trying to get in there, too. They're obviously not going to give it to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but it would be better to have Biden out of there, even if it meant a year with Kamala, although that's not going to work out great for them either. So there really are no good choices, but they will try to play their hand as best they can. And that's why the media, the mainstream media is starting to introduce these thoughts and allow for this conversation to be had. Joe Biden's legal issues are going very, very badly. We are probably going to see an indictment of Hunter in maybe this week, maybe next week, but probably in the near term. Who knows? Probably on something minor. Again, who knows? Will Joe Biden pardon him? How's Joe Biden going to pardon anyone as an illegitimate president? What would that mean for the future? Is that a full legal pardon that everyone's just going to respect? Or hey, maybe that's just Hunter's deal. 
But I think we'll probably see some indictment of Hunter Biden to make Joe Biden's Justice Department look more even handed as they continue to prosecute Donald Trump. Regardless, we are basically all the way into the banana republic right now. We have got the picture in full and the final puzzle piece of that picture was Joe Biden's illegitimate administration arresting the leader of the political opposition. That is one of the defining characteristics of banana republics of the past of the sort that the U.S. and the global regime created in those countries and said could never, ever happen here. Now, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week after the indictment, but I want to go through it again quickly. Donald Trump in a truth post after the indictment said, now that the seal is broken, in addition to closing the border and removing all of the criminal elements that have illegally invaded our country, making America energy independent and even dominant again, and immediately ending the war between Russia and Ukraine, I will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after the most corrupt president in the history of the USA, Joe Biden, the entire Biden crime family, and all others involved with the destruction of our elections, borders, and country itself. So that basically indicates everybody in the regime. Now, obviously, Donald Trump has reiterated a few times that the seal is broken. And so then it becomes a matter of what that means, because certainly the moment is the federal indictment of a former president. Now, as this was all unfolding and we were thinking about Halderman, I had done my thread John Harold Patel Patriot, as you all know, quote tweeted that and added some of his own stuff. And then on Thursday, he found something very interesting about the Halderman report. And he wrote this thread. And by the way, we went through a bit of this on Devolution Power Hour the other night. I'm going to try to give the quick version just because I don't expect that everyone listening to this podcast saw Devolution Power Hour the other night. But John laid out this thread. I want to show you a connection between the newly released Halderman report and what Trump was doing to set up devolution and continuity of government. It has to do with the draft executive order that was leaked dated December 16th, 2020, the one calling for military interdiction in the election. The draft executive order says there is evidence of foreign interference. He directly mentions Dominion voting systems multiple times. And John quotes from the draft executive order. The Dominion voting system is intentionally and purposefully designed with inherent errors to create systemic fraud and influence election results. He goes on. It stated that the systems had crucial code features and defects that allowed the same outside and foreign interference in our election, in which there is probable cause to find votes were in fact altered and manipulated contrary to the will of the voters. Citing from the draft EO again. Multiple expert witnesses and cyber experts identified acts of foreign interference in the election prior to November 3rd, 2020, and continued in the following weeks. Now, what happened in those following weeks? Well, the election extended in certain places. And if you recall, John Ratcliffe came out with FBI Director Christopher Wray and CISA Director Chris Krebs and said that there already had been foreign interference in the 2020 election prior to the election. But back to John's thread. It then went on to call for military interdiction. And from the executive order, it said 
The Secretary of Defense has discretion to determine the interdiction of national critical infrastructure supporting federal elections. John says here's where it connects to the Halderman report. The report was under seal in a court case in Georgia. Judge Amy Totenberg just ordered the unsealing on June 7th. What fascinates me is that Donald Trump's draft executive order actually quoted one of Judge Totenberg's orders, quote, denying 785 motion for preliminary injunction. So in his draft executive order, Donald Trump quoted the judge in Curling versus Raffensperger, the case that had the Halderman report under seal for years. This gives a strong indication that Donald Trump knew exactly what was going on in Georgia with the machines and the elections. And it's not hard to imagine that he would have had access to the findings of the Halderman report at that time. John says, yes, in Trump's draft executive order, he quoted one of the judge's orders from the same exact case we just got the Halderman report from. John says, the draft executive order happens to cite the one court case out of maybe hundreds or thousands of court cases surrounding election fraud that years later unseals a report detailing that Dominion machines could allow manipulation of votes without detection, just as the EO stated. Now, this is all very interesting. And it got me to thinking. And so I quote tweeted John's post there, added in Trump's truth social post that we just discussed a minute ago. And I said this, Trump referenced the case and the judge that produced and then kept sealed the Halderman report on Dominion machines in Georgia. Judge Totenberg ordered the unsealing on the 7th. The news told us that Trump's lawyers were informed about his indictment that night. Remember how that went down that evening. We hear that Trump's lawyers have been told he would be indicted. And then Trump comes out and says, I haven't heard anything like that. No one's told me about that. And then the next morning he goes out and announces his own indictment over the weekend. He starts talking about how the seal is broken on the 13th. He goes down and he actually gets arrested. He repeats that the seal is broken. And the next day, the report that the judge had ordered unsealed is finally unsealed after years, the day after Trump gets arrested and the seal is broken. The Halderman report is unsealed. And again, election fraud becomes a big part of the public conversation. It is now unavoidable. The Dominion machines are now publicly understood to be wide open and vulnerable to access from the outside and to manipulation that can go undetected. And there is absolutely no way under any circumstances that it can be guaranteed the Dominion machines will produce a reliable outcome that reflects the will of the voters who use them. All of that is put to bed. Now, the Halderman Report talks about a document called the MITRE Report. Dominion hired a company called MITRE. They did their own assessment of Dominion's machines. It was intended as a response to the Halderman report, but they didn't have the same access to the equipment that Halderman had. And if I understand correctly, they didn't get that access because the court didn't grant them that access. 
Now, that MITRE report pretends to totally debunk Halderman. And there are people clinging to that MITRE report saying that's what it really does. But it is no better a debunking than what you might find at factcheck.org or PolitiFact, anything from the Pointer Institute, anything funded by the globalists, all the fact-checking organizations, Facebook's fact-checkers, YouTube's fact-checkers, all of them. Those groups, just like MITRE, only exist to give the most stubborn, close-minded, small-minded people something to grasp onto so that they don't have to admit that they were wrong about one of the most important things you could ever confront in a nation like ours. The fact that the country has been usurped, the fact that our elections are stolen, they will never admit it no matter what the personal cost, and the personal cost is about to become great. But they're not going to admit it. The MITRE report is enough for them. That's a fact check. That's a debunking. Now the Halderman report has been debunked. All of that means absolutely nothing. The fact that Halderman has been called before Congress to testify due to his extraordinary expertise and subject matter knowledge That means absolutely nothing. All that matters is that Dominion has something to tell people and a third party organization they paid who will pretend to tell them that that is the truth. Now, the timing of all of this, as I just laid out, I think it's rather amazing. The same day that Judge Totenberg finally orders the unsealing of the Halderman report, June 7th, is the day that we get reports in the evening of Trump's impending indictment. He announces it the next day. Over the next few days, he says the seal is broken. He actually gets indicted. He reiterates that the seal is broken. And the next day, the Halderman report is unsealed, making it now unequivocally and indisputably clear that the machines simply don't work and that no election whose results are dictated by those machines can be trusted. Now, that's not something that all of the child-brained communists out there and all of the villagers supporting the Uniparty are just going to accept and incorporate into their belief structure. They're not going to do that. They may be at the point where they will no longer deny in public that the election was stolen, but they're not going to take on the full understanding of what it means for a country's elections to be stolen, even while understanding that the person leading the country, in quotes, is an illegitimate dictator, as now defined by the central narrative. They're not going to put that together. They're going to argue against it or argue that it doesn't matter and Trump is still bad anyway. And sadly, but unsurprisingly, all of the Ron people are doing exactly that. Last night, Kurt Schlichter, one of the primary DeSantis simps, quote tweeted someone's post about Trump having won the election. There's no way he lost. He was obviously cheated out of it. Schlichter responds, Trump lost. I know that because he's not president. If you are arguing that he was cheated, okay, what you are saying is he knew they were going to cheat him and they still cheated him. These are not good arguments in his favor. So there we have it. Trump wasn't good enough to defeat the cheating. So what we need to do is find someone else who can defeat the cheating on elections run by machines that don't work and Schlichter knows it. So he is saying, yes, 
Trump was cheated out of it and Trump should have done something about it so that he could have remained president at all costs. Otherwise, that means he's lost. He is not strong enough or smart enough to win. Therefore, that whole game is over. And now, and by the way, I'm being charitable to him. We have to get the best person who might be able to defeat the regime's cheating efforts in 2024, even though the regime's cheating efforts cannot be defeated due to the fact that the machines are wide open to manipulation and can't guarantee a reliable and accurate outcome. So what he's saying is we can't go with Trump. We should go with someone who the regime will allow to win a rigged election. And that, my friends, is the same thing as supporting rigged elections. The Uniparty is publicly forming in all its glory. They are showing themselves to everyone. They will do whatever it takes to support the regime by trying to destroy Trump and demoralize MAGA. And the entire time they're saying they're actually trying to attract MAGA voters by showing them how bad Trump was. Oh, thank goodness. Finally, the smart people are here to save us. The people who never got banned from Twitter are here to save us. That's what we needed. The smart people. Finally, they're on board. They're going to tell MAGA what's best for MAGA. And MAGA is just going to be like, oh, goodness. Thank you, smart people. You've finally given us an opportunity to change. Just like the Democrats have been begging for for eight years. Oh, what's that? You and the Democrats are exactly the same on everything that matters. Oh, yeah. Now, there was an unexpected twist over the weekend in the aftermath of the unsealing of the Halderman report. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the man who was Secretary of State in the 2020 election, the 2022 election, elections prior, the man who made the consent decree with Stacey Abrams, the man presiding over election fraud in Georgia. Well, that guy has proposed a debate over election fraud in Georgia with Donald Trump. Now, why is he doing that? So after the Halderman report was unsealed, one of the big headlines to emerge in the coverage of that report was that Brad Raffensperger of Georgia still has those machines in place in the same state as they were in when Halderman studied them for their election in 2024. So it is now public knowledge that Brad Raffensperger, secretary of state in Georgia, is going to have machines that everyone knows to be vulnerable and unreliable used in the 2024 presidential election in Georgia. Now, that in itself is an absolute scandal. Am I personally worried about that? No, of course not, because my goal is not winning a rigged election in 2024. And it's not pretending that our elections are not rigged simply by getting rid of Brad Raffensperger or switching to new Dominion software that is every bit as vulnerable to manipulation and unreliable in its results as the old Dominion software. So why would I care that Brad Raffensperger has not made a change? I don't at all. In fact, my goal is the awakening. I want people to understand what the system is and who represents that system and what they do inside it. So this is a wonderful example of that to everyone about who Brad Raffensperger is and what he represents. I'm happy for this headline to be printed every day between now and November of 2024. That would actually be far more impactful than Brad Raffensperger updating the Dominion software. 
So no, that doesn't scare me at all. But let me play Brad Raffensperger's debate challenge to Donald Trump. Well, maybe it's time that he and I get together. Uh, what I would say is, why don't we all, he and I, go out to the Reagan Library, we'll have a debate. I'll bring a copy of my letter to Congress, and I'll bring a copy of my book, Integrity Counts. And maybe perhaps he could bring the reports that he paid for by Simpatico and the Berkeley Research Group um, and showing what the election results. And we'll debate the issues point by point. Because at the end of the day, I have facts on my side, and he doesn't. So Brad Raffensperger is going to bring a letter he wrote to Congress, a book that he wrote, and two reports from third-party organizations who, quote-unquote, looked for election fraud and couldn't find any, that the media loves to refer to as Donald Trump having paid for. And if those organizations that Trump paid for didn't find election fraud, well, that's because it's just totally made up. Now, is he bringing the Halderman report? Why didn't he mention bringing the Halderman report? Does anyone think that Donald Trump is scared of this debate with Brad Raffensperger? Brad Raffensperger could barely speak his way through the debate challenge. He's not going to stand there on stage with Donald Trump and win a debate over election fraud. Now, I don't think that there's going to be that debate, but hey, maybe Trump's like, yeah, let's do it. Maybe this is the perfect television viewing opportunity. Go to the Reagan library, have a pure rhino cuck face off against Donald Trump in a debate over election fraud. Now, is Brad Raffensperger an undercover good guy who's just been working on the right team this entire time? Well, if he is, then he's taking a hard one for the team and maybe he's a hero, but there's just no reason to believe that. At least none that I've seen, at least none that I'm aware of out there in public. But it would be a glorious spectacle for the two of them to debate and the entire nation, I imagine, would tune in. The uniparty right and the uniparty left would believe that was their opportunity to finally make Trump look bad on the issue of election fraud. Caitlin Collins asked him about it in the town hall. She tried to slam him. She tried to nail him down on the election fraud, saying, oh, those are baseless claims. There's no evidence. Brad Raffensperger, though, he's an election official, a Republican election official. That means he is a trustworthy expert, even to the uniparty right. The uniparty left, of course, will trust him because he is put in an anti-Trump position and anyone put in an anti-Trump position immediately gains the trust of the left. It doesn't matter if they are allies or former allies of Donald Trump, not even a little bit. That is why they love Bill Barr so much. That's why they constantly say Trump's own attorney general said that he had not seen to this point any evidence of election fraud that would have been big enough, widespread enough to overturn the results of the election. They love saying that. They think that that is like you sunk my battleship kind of territory. Like they just call out B2, Bill Barr. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, no, you sunk my battleship. And then, you know, if you got the later on version of it with the batteries and the sounds, oh, some explosion in siren sound would go off. You sunk my battleship mentioning Bill Barr. <laughs> they love it. They love it. They think that Bill Barr is like their secret anti-Trump weapon. Oh, Bill Barr. All you have to do is consistently take anti-Trump positions on television and you will immediately be a hero of the left. They love Brad Raffensperger. Brad Raffensperger has no personality, no charisma. 
There is no indication that Brad Raffensperger is even competent at his job, much less an expert. There is no reason to believe that he shares their values or that he is a good man. They just love him because he's anti-Trump. Why? Ah, oh, yeah, because it's a hate movement. So that is a lot of motion on election fraud. And I know this is when all of the black pilled people say, yeah, but nothing's gonna happen. Okay, we've known this for so long, but nothing's gonna happen. Why isn't anything happening? And I would say, hey, come on, guys. Hasn't it been a little bit long to still be saying that? If the narrative was not advancing in our direction, you would have a point. If people weren't continually waking up and coming to our side, we would have a point. Except both of those things are happening. Therefore, no points. I mean, do we have to pretend that the Halderman report, the unsealing of the Halderman report is the go signal for the black helicopters all across the nation? We don't have to pretend that things are happening. You can see things happening and people are coming our direction. It is an information war. The goal isn't to lock up Brad Raffensperger. The goal is to win the information war. And we do that by winning hearts and minds. And how do we win hearts and minds? By making sure that they are exposed to the truth and absolutely nothing more. And it doesn't matter how long it takes because that's what the mission is. It would be wonderful if the mission instead was just to have as much hedonistic pleasure in the world as you could possibly experience. Or maybe just nap for as many days in a row as you want. Or just maybe to live on permanent vacation for the rest of your life. All of it just sounds so lovely. I mean, especially if you have no soul and uh, no loyalty and commitment to your country. All that sounds wonderful, but that's not the mission. The mission is to win the information war using the truth. And so that's what we're doing. And it's going to take a little while longer. But things are happening. And that's why people are waking up and coming to our side. That's why more of this is being exposed. That's why the central narrative moves only in our direction and never in the other direction. Things are happening. And once things are happening, things start happening faster. It is like a big snowball rolling down a snowy mountain where it just gains speed and size as it descends. But that is not the only issue on which the seal has been broken in this past week since the Trump indictment. And so I want to talk about a few of those, because what we're seeing right now is a major shift. And it seems like it's happening to the point where people are actually able to feel it. Some of the villagers are saying they've had enough. Some of that tension is kind of breaking and people are waking up to the reality that they have been lied to about the most important things in our country's history and in their lives as well. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast last week. And in addition to talking about Big Pharma and the vaccines, he went into a few other things like his belief that Wi-Fi has various health-related concerns and some other technologies do as well. And once again, he was called a conspiracy theorist, including, by the way, the people who think that the vaccine is bad. Again, Kurt Schlichter, one of the DeSantis simps, one of the members of that little club whose sole purpose in life, it seems, 
is to blame Donald Trump for everything COVID, including the vaccines. He retweeted a post by someone named Armand Domaluski. I have no idea who that is, but he was citing a post from Peter Dow, who said, looking objectively at the Dem field, Robert Kennedy Jr. is a much better general election candidate than Biden. And he goes on the quote tweet, though, this guy Armand says, RFK Jr. says vaccines cause autism. Wi-Fi causes cancer. There were no mass shootings before the invention of Prozac and, quote, has no position on the relationship between HIV and AIDS, end quote. He says, I am sick and tired of people normalizing this hateful, insane, bigoted lunatic. And Kurt Schlichter, one of the DeSantis simps, reposted that. Now, at the same time, other DeSantis simps are trying to take some of RFK Jr.'s anti-establishment vibe because they can't give any credit to Donald Trump for being anti-regime, anti-establishment. They're trying to get it from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And they're trying to attach that to Ron DeSantis. One of the craziest, most unhinged DeSantis simps, Pedro Gonzalez, tried to claim that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Ron DeSantis are the real anti-regime, anti-establishment guys. They are actually trying to pretend that Ron DeSantis is more MAGA than Trump all the time on every single issue. They're like, oh, you like Donald Trump about that? Let us introduce you to Ron DeSantis, who is admittedly less of the thing that you like, but he's more of the thing that we like. And we suggest that you all should like the thing we like. So come on over, right? It really is the dumbest, worst, most morally abominable strategy I've ever seen in politics. But hey, go ahead and run with it, guys. So the reaction from the villagers and from the mainstream media, the regime establishment, all its parts was that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was still a conspiracy theorist, even though people understand by now in the mainstream that the vaccines were a really bad idea. And if you don't believe me, then I'd have to ask you to find another explanation for why people have stopped taking it. We were told at the beginning it was something like 75 or 80 or 85 percent or 90 percent of people who got the first round of the covid vaccines. And with the last booster, it was something like 15 percent. Virtually no one got their young kids vaccinated. People realized they had been lied to and their behavior showed that they understood it regardless of what the media said or what those people would say in public. If you got five people who all got vaccinated and four of them realize it was a bad idea, but the fifth is super pro vaccine, those four are probably going to be really quiet around that other person. And while the incentive stays on the side of people supporting the vaccine, they will all continue to silence themselves, even though the vast majority of that five is now against the vaccine and knows it was a bad idea. They're not going to realize they're near consensus, but the behavior society wide shows that people have learned that if it was 80 percent before, that's kind of a mid range figure for what we've been told. Let's say 80 percent. Let's say 75 percent. Let's go with the lowest end. If only 65 percent of Americans had gotten the first doses of the covid vaccine. And by the way, I don't believe any of these statistics. So I understand that all of this falls away. If these statistics are wrong, they probably are wrong. But this is still what has been reported. And that's what we can go on as far as narrative change. But if it was 65 percent at the beginning and it's 15 percent now, 
That means 50% of the country has made a change in behavior based on how the narrative has changed and how the cultural incentives and punishment structure have changed. They know the vaccine was a bad idea. They wish they had never done it. Many of them admit at this point that they wish they had never done it. And they changed their behavior, proving that they know better. Now, Joe Rogan has one of the biggest shows on earth. Millions of people heard Robert F. Kennedy Jr. speak about a whole bunch of different things. And everyone who supports the Uniparty and supports the global regime had to come out and say the man is a conspiracy theorist because the things he says are simply too dangerous and they have to discredit and marginalize his viewpoints. Now, one of the people who engaged in that is a man named Peter Hotez. Now, let's see what Wikipedia has to say about Peter Hotez. Peter Hotez is an American scientist, pediatrician, and advocate in the fields of global health, vaccinology, and neglected tropical disease control. He serves as founding dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine, professor of pediatrics and molecular virology and microbiology at Baylor College of Medicine, where he is also director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development and Texas Children's Hospital Endowed Chair in Tropical Pediatrics and University Professor of Biology at Baylor College of Medicine. It is hard to think of a worse combination than virology, vaccinology, quote unquote, neglected tropical diseases and children's hospitals. This guy is not even a red flag. He is an entire firehouse of blaring red sirens when it comes to warning signs of regime activity. He also happened to get a PhD from Rockefeller University and a doctor of medicine from Weill Cornell Medical College, which is part of Cornell University, which is, you guessed it, where Anthony Fauci came from. He's also just about the creepiest little weirdo you could ever come across. He looks like he could be an evil character from Labyrinth. Now, he went on the Joe Rogan show a few months ago, and he has routinely preached the regime narrative wherever he can find a television screen to appear on. His appearance on Rogan did not go particularly well, but it's also not as if Rogan was real tough on him. His job is to make the vaccine sound like the best thing ever. And that's what he did. And this is how the conversation in public always goes at that mainstream level. One side will make all their points. They will lie to do it. The other side will make all their points. Some of them in the mainstream obviously will lie to make their points as well. But the result is that we always have to pretend that the answer is somewhere in the middle. Because for whatever reason, we have decided culturally that it is not a good idea to say that a man like Peter Hotez, for instance, is simply either stupid or evil when he is obviously one of those two things. We're not allowed to do that because the party of false decorum does not allow that, not to a renowned expert like Peter Hotez. So Peter Hotez heard about this RFK interview on Rogan. I would be shocked if he listened to it. But he lies about the vaccine results in children, so it's not like he's not going to lie about other things. Regardless, he took to Twitter on Saturday morning 
to post an article from Vice with the headline, Spotify has stopped even sort of trying to stem Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. Well, good for Spotify. My podcast is still banned on that platform, but whatever. At least Rogan never gets censored. Hotez writes, Spotify has stopped even sort of trying to stem Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. It's really true, Anna Merlin, just awful. And Anna Merlin or Anna Merlon was, of course, the author of the Vice piece. He writes, and from all the online attacks I'm receiving after this absurd podcast, it's clear many actually believe this nonsense. Well, he didn't tag Joe Rogan in that post. But Joe Rogan saw his post and he responded and they had a back and forth with quote tweets. Rogan writes, Peter, if you claim what RFK Jr. is saying is misinformation, I am offering you $100,000 to the charity of your choice if you're willing to debate him on my show with no time limit. And RFK Jr. weighed in and said, Peter, let's finally have the respectful, congenial, informative debate that the American people deserve. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. immediately accepts Joe Rogan's offer. Hotez writes back, Joe, you have my cell, my email. I'm always willing to speak with you. Now, that certainly is not an acceptance of Joe Rogan's invitation. And of course, Rogan called him on it. He said on Twitter, this is a non-answer. I challenged you publicly because you publicly quote tweeted and agreed with that dog shit vice article. If you're really serious about what you stand for, you now have a massive opportunity for a debate that will reach the largest audience a discussion like this has ever had. If you think someone else is better qualified, suggest that person. And Rogan adds on beneath this. He writes, by the way, Peter Hotez, I saw this tweet that you deleted. Hotez wrote and then deleted, be serious, Joe. That's what you throw out for your hunting buddies on a weekend, a $50 million endowment, which you Spotify RFK Jr. can easily afford, not for me, but so we can continue making low cost patent free vaccines for the world's poor preceded by RFK Jr.'s public apology. So that is the standard that Hotez needs and wants in order to have this debate, in order to push his message, the message of pharma and the vaccine companies out to the largest possible audience of doubters they could ever possibly reach. His standard is that RFK Jr. apologizes to him first and that $50 million is used to create an endowment to vaccinate more of the world's poor. Hotez responds to the deleted tweet and Joe's noticing of the deleted tweet. He writes, yes, Joe, I thought it was over the top, unnecessarily provocative. So I took it down right away, but I've been hurt by the public and untrue statements you and guests have made about me being a pharma shill when all I do is make vaccines for the world's poor. I don't take big pharma money. I am happy to come on and clear the air. I respect you and your show. I don't want an adversarial relationship. I think we can work well together. Well, that's not what Rogan offered. He didn't offer Peter Hotez his platform to just come on and say things. Rogan kept it going. He responded, are you sure I'm not part of a coalition with neo-fascist leanings? 
seems like that's what you really think or what you're projecting to the masses. And Rogan is right. On May 9th, 2023, following the release of Tucker Carlson's announcement about being on Twitter, Hotez quote tweeted Tucker Carlson's post and said, I'm quite concerned about the Elon Tucker link, then fold in Rogan and RFK Jr. And it becomes a pretty formidable coalition with neo-fascist leanings in some ways darker or perhaps more dangerous than Trump, in my opinion. Awful. I just hope team Biden is preparing. And so Rogan called him out on this because Hotez had just said that he wants to come on Rogan's show and clear the air because he respects Rogan and his show and he doesn't want an adversarial relationship. He called them neo-fascists. Rogan added, to those misunderstanding what he's saying, he's not agreeing to debate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's just offering to come on my show by himself. So after all this goes down on Saturday, some journalist or citizen journalist finds Peter Hotez at his house in his driveway, dressed like a buffoon, and asks him about the debate. Hotez immediately takes to Twitter and self-victimizes as if he was attacked outside his home, as if the person came to cause his death when it was quite clear that all they came to do was ask a couple of questions. It's not like they were going to try to inject him with a very safe and very effective vaccine or anything, but he's very, very mad about it. And so that presented me naturally with the opportunity yesterday to tell many, many, many people that they sound vaccinated. And of course, when you use the meme on a popular account of a hardcore regime vaccine, oh boy, you are going to be in for a bot attack. And that's exactly what I got. And it was very, very funny. But it's never just all bots. There are definitely real people in there and they are utterly insane at this point. Just pure evil and hatred. It is so bad. But the thing is, when they really let it all out, it's because they are extremely threatened and extremely insecure. And that's where everybody who has supported the vaccines to this point is. They just saw one of the leading pharma shills, a guy who is on television all the time, telling the world how great these vaccines are. A man who describes himself, as you just witnessed, as a hero for bringing vaccines to the world's poor. He is refusing to debate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a viable candidate for Democrat president who is gaining ground every week on everyone else in the Democrat establishment. And it's obvious to everyone that the reason he's refusing is because he's scared. He wanted more money to go to an endowment. Well, people have been crowdfunding that on Twitter with big donations, and apparently they're up to one point five two million as of last night. I haven't seen it pop up today, but as of last night, it was over one point five million dollars to be directed to a charity of Hotez's choice just for Hotez to appear and debate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Joe Rogan's show with Rogan moderating people there to fact check in real time for as long as they want. That should be a glorious opportunity for this great scientist, this doctor who everyone should trust to come out and give the story to the public to make the best case for the vaccine industry, for pharma, for the science, for the experts, 
It's a wonderful opportunity to slam down a conspiracy theorist in public. Why don't the conspiracy theorists ever find debate partners? If these ideas are so bad and so crazy and so obviously false, why can't the world renowned experts actually ever prove it when they're asked to even with a million and a half dollars on the line for charity? He won't do it. And it's become clear to everyone that it's because he can't do it. He's scared to do it. He doesn't have a point. He couldn't win the debate. The vaccine regime would be over immediately following that debate. And everyone knows it. All of the people out there who have trusted the science harder than anyone, the 15% of the people who got the bivalent booster, the 5% of the people who vaccinated their children, those people are now seeing in public with major figures attached. Joe Rogan is one of the top three media figures in the country. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the number one challenger for Joe Biden and the Democrat Party. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., by the way, it should be known and very clear and honestly repeated often that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has better poll numbers in the Democrat Party than Ron D. Santis has in the Republican primary. Ron D. Santis is now under 15% in some polls, but he's taken seriously while RFK Jr. is marginalized. Major figures here. That means that it cannot be avoided by the central narrative and the stories make their way into the mainstream and onto the mainstream social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, etc. So the seal is broken. That broken seal is allowing all sorts of things to come out of Pandora's box. All of these new discussions and revelations an awakening about election fraud an awakening about the vaccines. We now have two potential debates. I kind of doubt that we're going to see either one. But what the hell do I know? Maybe we'll see both of them. Maybe we'll see Trump debate Brad Raffensperger and see Robert F. Kennedy Jr. debate Peter Hotez. There is at least some parallel there. Donald Trump could show the country quite conclusively that election fraud happens and it is a huge risk to this country and to every citizen of this country. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. could show the entire country that the vaccine regime is based on lies and bad science and that they have absolutely no response to the people they call conspiracy theorists in either case. Now, these are two of the major pillars of the central narrative of the Uniparty's position on our society right now. Election fraud does not happen. Vaccines are very safe and very effective. The Uniparty left agrees with all of this. The Uniparty right essentially agrees with all of it, too. But they think they have a more nuanced way of talking about it because they can't come out and say that everyone in MAGA is a liar or a conspiracy theorist or a moron because they have to at least still pretend to be trying to win over those voters. Otherwise, no one would ever possibly believe it in the future when and if they steal the primaries for Ron D. Santis. Two major pillars are cracked and toppling just in the last few days. Now, I'm not talking about just certain views on issues when I'm talking about the pillars of the Uniparty and the pillars of the central narrative. 
What are the key issues that they will not let go of? The stuff that if they're exposed on that, they're in real trouble. Well, I would argue that the very violent insurrection is one of those. Obviously, COVID and the vaccines are a huge one. The election fraud and everything that surrounds that is an important one, maybe the most important one. And then, of course, you've got the Ukraine war. Over the weekend, Vladimir Putin wrapped up a meeting that we had discussed a couple of weeks ago. A group of heads of state from various African countries, a delegation led by South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, met with Vladimir Putin to talk about the potential for a peaceful outcome in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And during their talks, Vladimir Putin explained to the leaders of these African nations how in the spring of 2022, at the very beginning of the conflict, when Russia was on the doorstep of Kiev, a peace deal was negotiated by Turkish President Erdogan, who you'll remember just won re-election a couple of weeks ago after they attempted to steal his election and forced him into a runoff. He had been negotiating with Russia and Ukraine, and they agreed to those terms so long as Russia would pull its forces away from Kiev. Putin says that Ukraine had signed off on that deal. And he held up the papers to show the leaders of the African nations that he wasn't kidding around. It had been initialed and they were settling on terms that could have brought us a more peaceful outcome and probably saved hundreds of thousands of lives. According to Putin, Russia held up its end of the bargain. They pulled away from Kiev and then Kiev took the deal and threw it in the trash and just continued to do as the global regime demanded. And what did they say about Russia's troops moving back from Kiev? Oh, they said that they beat the Russians back. They had defeated the Russians on the battlefield. They had stopped Russia from taking Kiev. And a lot of people believed that. A lot of people believed that Ukraine was doing just an amazing job of holding off those Russian forces and beating them back. Ukraine would surely recapture all of the taken territory and eventually win. Well, we all knew from the beginning that that was nonsense, that Russia had never been beaten back from Kiev. And I said it countless times. It simply never happened. We were lied to. Why? Because it was good propaganda. Because if you tell the world that Ukraine and Russia had agreed to a peace deal, then you don't get the war and you don't get all the war spending and you don't get to protect all those awful regime assets and practices in Ukraine. The biolabs, for instance, and the human and drug trafficking. You also might lose that Nazi army that the CIA has been training ever since the last Nazi army was there. Now, we'll talk about another war that they might not get in just a minute, but my good pal Burning Bright, my co-host on Badlands Story Hour, Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Badlands Media Rumble channel and elsewhere. Sometimes we're allowed to participate on other platforms. He wrote this thread on Truth Social about Russia, an issue he has been tracking for the entire time and doing a fantastic job in doing so. If you're a longtime listener, you'll remember that the first conversation Burning Bright and I ever had was maybe almost a year ago now, as we discussed his Righteous Russia series, which I recommend highly to everyone. 
Here is his thread on Truth Social. Russian academic and Putin confidant Sergei Karaganov made waves internationally after publishing an essay in which he warns of inevitable nuclear conflict between Russia and the West. He blames this on, quote, the fundamental cause of the conflict in Ukraine and many other tensions in the world, the accelerating failure of the modern ruling Western elites, whom he claims are, quote, losing their five century long ability to siphon wealth around the world through, quote, brute force. Five centuries, huh? Sounds like he's talking about what became the Prussian regime and eventually the invisible enemy, and at the top of that whole structure, are the global bankers. You know, the ones who tried to sanction Russia and destroy its economy and destroy the lives of Russian citizens just a year ago. It's strange how that failed, isn't it strange? Oh man, it's so strange. Burning Bright goes on. Viewed through the lens of Seymour Hirsch and other academic type normie journalists, this looks like Russian doom mongering, and it sort of is. That said, Hirsch's latest report snuck in this juicy gem, and he quotes, Biden is believed by some in the American intelligence community to be convinced that his reelection prospects depend on a victory, end quote. Isn't that interesting? Joe Biden's reelection prospects depend on the regime winning in Ukraine. If the regime doesn't win in Ukraine, then the whole thing topples over. Joe Biden and everyone in the American intelligence community knows that our elections are stolen. They know that for all intents and purposes, we don't even have elections. We just act out elections. We yell at each other until we get to go act out an election. And then we tell each other that we've had an election. And whoever the television tells us is the winner, that's the person we say, oh, well, I guess we elected this person. Joe Biden and the intelligence community know that we don't have real elections in this country. The global regime knows that we don't have real elections in this country. So for Joe Biden to lose, if he loses in Ukraine, what does that mean? It means they're not going to be able to steal an election if they lose in Ukraine. Crazy to connect those things, isn't it? Is there anything in the central narrative or in the normie sphere that could explain that? There isn't really, is there? But they'll try. Here's what they would say. Well, you know, we put a lot of resources into that whole Ukraine war and we were told that it was going to go well. And if Joe Biden can't get the job done in Ukraine, well, where can we expect him to get the job done? We're going to need to replace him with somebody else, somebody stronger, a better leader like Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris or J.B. Pritzker <laughs> and just definitely never Robert F. Kennedy Jr., so that's why he'd lose in 2024. It's not because the global regime has been, uh, you know, uh, stripped of all their power to the point where they can't win wars in Europe against Russia and they can't even get sanctions in Russia to cripple Russia's economy. It's just that Democrat voters in America aren't going to turn back to Biden again after this embarrassing Ukraine situation. He simply has to win. The regime is still quite powerful, let me tell you, just not powerful enough to win wars or to have their sanctions take any effect or to stop the fact that half the world's population 
is soon going to be using a currency that is not the regime's fiat money currently branded as the U.S. dollar. My good pal Burning Bright goes on. He says the same intel community also tells Hirsch Russia blew up the Kakova Dam. And yes, it's the same intel community he believes blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Burning Bright goes on. I don't believe Biden is in control of the executive branch in the traditional sense, as I strongly believe he's hemmed in by Trump's devolution EOs or directly controlled as part of an op. I also believe there's direct coordination between Trump, Western patriots and Putin. Why the doom mongering then? Why leaks from U.S. intel, the Kremlin? and Russian academics and insiders converging on the same scare event narratives because the solution to trauma-based mind control is trauma-based catharsis. When I see insiders and legacy journalists who aren't part of the traditional media machine advancing doomsday reporting like this, I don't think it's intentional obfuscation and propaganda. I think this is exactly what the drops reference when they say the news is fake, the war is real. Hirsch and those like him have sources, but sources, much like doors, open from both directions. Sometimes sources are cedars, and he means cedars of narratives. We're in a war of stories. Sometimes even the writers forget that. So let's think about this Ukraine war thing in the big picture. Okay? It all began last February, 2022, end of February. Russia invades Ukraine. Now, all of this had been bubbling up in the mainstream media. We had been getting the narratives about Russia, Ukraine. We were told that there might be false flag attacks that would then be blamed on Russia so that the war could begin. Regardless, it finally began. And in those first days, we began getting information from the Russians that they had taken over U.S. Defense Department affiliated biolabs where they were testing dangerous pathogens and who knows what else. We've heard about organ harvesting. We've certainly heard plenty about human trafficking and chemical weapons and Nazis and all of it. And we were told that Russia would be beaten back. In fact, they had already been beaten at Kiev and the Russian forces would be defeated on the battlefield by the very brave Ukrainians protecting the sovereign borders of their country as recognized by the UN and the EU and NATO and not really anybody else. The global regime draws the lines on the map. And if you don't respect the lines on the map, well, then the global regime calls in the U.S. military to enforce the lines that they draw on the map. And that's exactly what happened. We started sending billions and billions of dollars and mercenaries. And we had a massive censorship and propaganda effort to seed all of the proper narratives to the public so that the child brains would go out there and repeat the slogans. They would use Ukraine flag emojis everywhere. They would put Ukraine flags up on their houses and businesses to show that they too were part of the global regime's war effort to defeat Russia because Russia was threatening us in uh, so many, so many ways. Oh, that's right. Russia wasn't threatening us in any ways whatsoever. But they were willing to actually go take care of the regime in Ukraine, and they did survive those sanctions. So Russia was extremely dangerous. It didn't matter that the people of the Donbass, all the Russian speaking ethnic Russians wanted to be part of Russia. Same as when Crimea was taken back and made part of Russia in 2014. The global regime doesn't like it. 
The state propaganda media doesn't like it, but the people of those regions wanted to be part of Russia. And according to even the UN charter, they are allowed to do that. But we were lied to the whole time. We were told we were Putin's puppets and that we were responsible for all of this terrible death in Ukraine, even though that makes no sense because the side that is literally supporting the war effort, wanting the war to continue indefinitely until Putin is destroyed. Well, that's the side causing the death to go on. And nothing could ever be more obvious than that. They've never been able to make an argument why all of that is morally justified or justified in any other way. It's just that Putin is so bad and the Ukrainians are just so important that we can't allow Putin to do this to them, even if they want Putin to do exactly this. Despite the decades long presence of Nazis in Ukraine and the reverence they have for former Nazis in Ukraine, we are told there are no Nazis in Ukraine. In fact, we are the Nazis. And of course, that ended a couple of weeks ago when the New York Times finally admitted, oh, yeah, there's a, a bit of a Nazi problem in Ukraine. But they kept sending money and they kept killing and they kept lying and they get promised a bunch of tanks that will not arrive. They're still begging for F-16s, which will probably never happen. And whatever has actually been sent over and reached its destination has been quickly destroyed by the Russians. We were told that there would be a spring offensive that might be a summer offensive. And then we were told it was just a counter offensive. And in the meantime, of course, those war plans were leaked to the public. We are told by some kid, despite the world knowing about these war plans, they still went forward with them anyway. And now they're taking a strategic pause. Of course, I forgot to mention the fact that at the very beginning, Joe Biden gave all of the five eyes intelligence to China, who then gave it to Putin. So the entire time Russia has known what the plans were. It's really just about as incompetent as a regime, whether we're talking about the uniparty regime in America as currently represented by Joe Biden or the global regime worldwide. It's about as incompetent as any war could ever possibly be run. And to cover over that fact, they tell us that Joe Biden reunified NATO, which makes him just the greatest leader the world has ever seen. Now, is Joe Biden talking to Vladimir Putin? No, he sure isn't. And that's very strange for a strong, respected world leader who surely wants to see a peaceful outcome in all this, isn't it? It's almost like they don't take Joe Biden seriously at all. It's like they don't believe he got 81 million real lawful American votes and is actually a real American president. They certainly don't treat him like a real American president. Why would they do that if Joe Biden is the most powerful man in the world, as we are told the American president always is? Well, it certainly is a mystery. And despite all of that, they are still gunning for a nuclear exchange with Russia. They want the public to believe that there could be a nuclear strike from Russia so that we understand how dangerous Russia is and how much they must be dealt with. We have no choice but to deal with this Russian problem. And if they have to provoke that nuclear exchange, it seems like they're happy to do that. Now, why are they happy to do that? Well, because that's probably the only thing that can keep their war effort going. And again, if the war effort fails, then... Joe Biden can't win in 2024. That's the assessment of their side. But wait, you might say, 
that's the only possible war effort they could keep going in order to keep the regime in power. I thought there was that whole China Taiwan thing. Well, Antony Blinken has finally gone over to China and met with Xi Jinping. He was supposed to a few months ago. And then there was that whole sky circle problem and Blinken wasn't able to make a trip. Well, he did make a trip this weekend and he has released some pictures and remarks on his Twitter page about that meeting. The pictures are just absolutely embarrassing. She is standing with a big smile on his face, his hand out to the side, shaking Anthony Blinken's hand, but not looking at him. Blinken is bent over slightly, shaking she's hand, like just looking up at him with weakness scrawled across his face. It's thoroughly embarrassing. Blinken looks absolutely frustrated and defeated. There are pictures of the meeting. Everyone except she and Blinken are wearing masks. Blinken writes, had a candid, substantive and constructive conversation with People's Republic of China President Xi Jinping in Beijing today. We discussed a range of important issues, including the need to manage our relationship responsibly. It's very interesting that He notes he's the leader of the People's Republic of China because he could simply say China and often a distinction is made between the PRC and the CCP. So it's not a huge big deal, but it is interesting. Now, Blinken also said this on Taiwan. I reiterated the longstanding U.S. one China policy. Uh, That policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences. We remain committed to meeting our responsibilities under the Taiwan Relations Act, including making sure that Taiwan has the ability to defend itself. So we have GOP regime-seeming Congressman Mike Turner who shut down an investigation into Sequoia Capital and the CCP now going after Trump on the documents hoax. We have Biden's DOJ dropping charges on Sam Bankman-Fried, and we know about the links to Bankman-Fried and the corrupt global regime, the links to the CCP. And now we have Antony Blinken confirming for the world the one China policy. Taiwan is not an independent nation. They are part of China. And that's going to make it really hard to have a war with them once everyone understands it's impossible for China to invade China. That's Antony Blinken letting everyone know that Taiwan is still and has always been part of China. It's going to be awfully hard to get their war. And that was one they were really hoping for. They were really, really selling that. Oh, no. What about the poor microchips? What about those poor microchips? Well, this is why Donald Trump was decoupling from China and bringing manufacturing back on shore and imposing tariffs on China. The Uniparty left joined the Uniparty right and saying all those were bad policies. That's not free trade, they said. That's never going to work, they said. Well, 
It is working, and we're not going to get that Taiwan war. China may well go into Taiwan and remove the global regime and its assets from Taiwan, and they may do so by force, but that doesn't mean China is invading Taiwan and we have a war on our hands that we must get involved with. Doesn't mean that at all. They already tried that in Ukraine and it hasn't worked. And that may well be why they want a nuclear exchange, because that's the last thing that could keep them going. That's a lot of seals being broken. That's a lot of stuff coming out of Pandora's box that all the villagers out there just did not see coming. And it's only been a week that that seal has been broken. And let's close today's episode with a reminder of what that regime is, that thing that they want to keep going. This is from this weekend, an appearance Joe Biden made in Pennsylvania to talk about how the federal government was going to give corrupt Pennsylvania politicians tons and tons of money to fix a collapsed bridge near Philadelphia. Biden is joined by Josh Shapiro, the illegitimate governor of Pennsylvania, the former attorney general who presided over the stolen election in Pennsylvania in 2020 and then was rewarded for that with the governorship. And of course, John Fetterman, a real life Frankenstein ish reminder of the collapse of two of the key pillars to the regime's central narrative. John Fetterman is simultaneously a walking vaccine negative side effect and living proof that stolen elections have catastrophic consequences. Here is Fetterman in a hoodie and shorts introducing Joe Biden, the fake president of the United States of America. And now I'm standing next to the president again, next to a collapsed bridge here. And he is here to commit to work with the governor and the, the, the delegation to make sure that we get this fixed quick fast as well too this is a president that is committed to infrastructure yeah and then on top of that uh, the the jewel uh kind of a uh, uh, law of the inflation uh bill that is going to make sure that there's going to be bridges all across like this all across the america getting rebuilt and we are supposed to pretend that those guys actually won elections well hey God save the queen, man, I guess. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range.
It's high noon! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!